When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. And then my mind was kind of like, you know, the head in the fishbowl. But it takes me into the bathroom and says, this is how you brush your teeth. Brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat. But there were two girls, and it was like, you'll have to give us a ride. You can't fill us, though. You can't refuse us. He'll let us in his car. The thoughts were all alone in this empty void. You know, the head in the fishbowl. This doesn't look right. They got close enough where he said he could see. Hey guys, it is Conspiranormal. We are real time live feed and we are broadcasting on Facebook and we are also, you're hearing us in the future on the podcast. Whoa. Whoa, that's how it works, man. So we got, of course, Surfiel is in the house. Yeah. <laughs> Just had his chicken wings. He's feeling good. Yeah, some nice <laughs> decompression ritual. A couple beers, some chicken wings. Fired yeah, up the stogie. Man. Hell yeah. And uh, Rob. Hello, everybody. Rob's been working hard. He's got the internet running. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I replaced the squirrel damage, so hopefully everything will work tonight. And how fast is it working, Rob? Um, wait, what was it? Lightning fast? Oh, sorry, lightning fiast. Yeah. <laughs> like Michelangelo Badia, it's working <laughs> lightning fiast. <laughs> hey guys, uh, we're going straight into the guests like we've been doing lately. And we have on the line one of the two people from one of our favorite podcasts. Uh, like I've said before, Rob and I listened to, the, when we went to Roswell last year, we listened to this podcast all the way there and pretty much all the way back. I think we hit like one episode of Where Did the Road Go, but it kept coming back to 13 o'clock podcasts with Jenny Ashford and Tom Ross. And they have become pretty much fixtures now in the Conspiranormal universe. Uh, is that kind of like the uh, the Krussell verse, Tom? It's like the Krussell's. It's like sphere. the Krussell's sphere. Krussell's sphere. <laughs> Krussell's sphere. Yes, yes. <laughs> sphere around Kurt Russell. It's a, it, it's a sphere of man love. <laughs> Pretty much anyone else, you know, there's Charlton Heston, otherwise known as the Cheston. Cheston. It's just like a whole expanding universe. The sphere around Krussell merges with the sphere around Charlton Heston. So you have like the Cheston sphere and the Krussell sphere and they intersect. And I'm somewhere in there. 
It's like a, <laughs> like a Venn diagram. Peruvian man yeah. kind of thing yeah. there. Yeah, that's yeah. how that goes. So, so, so how does the Krussell sphere work? Like, what's the, uh, the how does that work? The Krussell sphere is Kurt Russell. Everything associated with Kurt Russell, the things that have observed Kurt Russell, <laughs> and the things Kurt Russell has observed. <laughs> Which that is, is the pretty sphere. much everything. Exactly. Yes, and one of those that he observed was the Phoenix Lights. I didn't know that he saw that. He saw that? Yes, he actually. Oh, right you guys you guys don't know about this? I don't know about oh, that. I would have figured you would have known. Okay, so that's no, so that's he he was doing promotion work for Guardians of the Galaxy 2. This was last year. Okay. And I think he was on some British talk show or something, and they were asking him whether he had ever had any UFO encounters. And of course, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, space, UFOs, all that. That's what they were asking him. And he said that he was talking about, he said, well, you remember the Phoenix Lights? He was the aviator that actually reported it to the, to, to the ground control. That he you had seen it. No way. Yeah, you he just, was the guy. Yeah. What? Okay. Uh-huh. I can't believe that you did not know that. Well, thank, thank you. You have not now confirmed to me that that shit did happen. Because <laughs> I, now, because now that you told me that that Russell saw that, I know that it is now a reality. Yep. Now there there were two <laughs> events about you know they called the Phoenix the, the Phoenix Lights. There were the flares, which we know are mm-hmm. not a UFO. And then we're talking right. about the UFO wave that went across that state. Right. And, and I, he said he saw a UFO. He said he I, didn't I, see flares. That's what he saw. He was right. like going from L.A., I think, to Vegas. And he went to pick up his son or something. And so he was over that. I think he was over that airspace for some reason. And he saw it, and he reported it. So, and it was always been a mystery as who the person was that reported it for twenty years until he said, "Yeah, it was him." Man, you don't understand what you've done oh to me. Oh my god! The synergy, the synergy yeah. right now, the whole synchronicity yeah. thing is like Uh-oh. that's killing. You me told now. me that my childhood man crush has made alien contact. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of a sort. Yes, of a sort. Of a sort. Yes. Of a sort. Yes. It has now been internalized, and it is now a reality in, <laughs> in the Russell sphere, which that's my own sphere. The Russell sphere. The Russell sphere. <laughs> <laughs> they have intersected at an extraterrestrial level. I thought like it should explode or something at this yeah. point. No, I, didn't, I didn't know about that. I didn't either. I am so surprised that you guys missed this. I didn't know about that. I yeah. did not know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that combines two of your greatest loves, Tom, exactly. UFOs and Kurt Russell. Exactly. And I can't explain either one. <laughs> Sounds like the Earth Coincidence Control Office has turned all the way up. <laughs> It's, I think it all it, it, it started with two movies, really. The Thing, you know, Kurt Russell's. My dad took me to see that when I was about thirteen, and that that movie blew my mind. And that one solidified Kurt Russell into my mind. I became one with the Russell sphere. And then I ended up seeing Escape from New York, and there was some about Kurt Russell's pants. Snake. Snake <laughs> and there's some about his pants. Drew me in. <laughs> I'll explain, you know, being a motorcycle guy, he's wearing those really cool motorcycle boots and he had that, those fake customized 
um, camouf- white and black camouflage Arctic pants that he uh, had from the Siberian Wars. You know, oh, that's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he had that Mac 10 that they gave him once he once he rolled into prison. I like that. That's <laughs> hardcore when you roll into prison and they give you a Mac 10. All right. <laughs> that's some hardcore shit, man. <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> Love it. I have that movie. I have, I have that. I have the Steelbook edition of that movie. But you that. have like every Blu-ray ever made right now, Tom. Like you are the. No, I'm build, build. He has a very large collection. I have a large collection. I'm just. I have a large collection. collection, but they're mostly DVDs though, and they're mostly horror movies. You're more an action movie guy or a yeah. sci-fi movie guy. I'm more right. a horror movie. Yeah. Girl. There, uh, there's a movie that stands out in my mind, a forgotten classic that I recommend for in, for everyone to watch on Blu-ray if you're an action movie connoisseur. The Sixth Day by Arnold Schwarzenegger on Blu-ray, Blu-ray was really good. Not forgot- End of Days, not End of not Days. End of- <laughs> no, never End of Days. <laughs> the Sixth Day. It, it, is, it, it will remind you very much of uh, Total Recall. Like an updated Total Recall. I, li- I like that movie. I'll have to watch that. You watch that by yeah. yourself. While yeah, it was working. really good. I liked it. I liked right. the vibe of that movie. But we have to get to Paranormal. Isn't that what we're here for? Well, you know, Paranormal, True Crime, all that kind of They're stuff. They're just rolling with us. Right. We don't mean to hijack the Well, show, what we got to talk about, guys, is yeah. the East Area Rapist. Yeah. Because I this is, I mean, this is in the news and... We we had listened to this episode that you guys did last year, and I had I had heard another show speaking about it, but I learned a lot more from the show that you guys did on it. And so we talked about this, I think, two or three episodes back. And I mean, this is just fascinating how they caught this guy. So, what did you guys get right about this? about this guy a lot actually well honestly i never thought like we did this we did the original night stalker on what episode eight i think it was like way a long time ago it was a long time ago and then like i kind of thought as with a lot of the serial killers from the 60s 70s early 80s that are kind of iconic like zodiac and stuff i thought this guy would never be caught so when they actually said, yeah, we caught this guy, we got DNA, we got all this other stuff, I was like, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And it was just so sudden the way it happened. And the guy had not even been on their radar right. prior to, you know, what it was. It was like six days before the guy was caught. They were yeah. like, yeah, we finally got the DNA evidence that linked him to it and stuff like that. And it was just like this amazing thing. Yeah. And we had actually had another show planned for episode 89, but then you said, oh, well, they caught, they caught the guy. original Night Stalker. We have to do a show about that. So we right. finally did it. And we actually, you went back and listened to our episode 8 Yeah, I show. went back and listened to the original show yeah. that, we, that we had done. And I realized that I pretty much had it. I pretty much we had We had it. kind of called it. Yeah. I mean, we, I think we said, I mean, I didn't listen to it because, I know this is a funny thing to say, but once, because I do the audio editing and the video editing and everything like that, I have a hard time going back and listening to our old shows because I'm just like, I don't want to even want to hear my voice. I don't want to listen to it over again because I listened to it so many times. But you went back and listened to episode eight. Yeah. And you said, we pretty much said he was probably a cop. Mm -hmm. And probably had naval background. Yeah. You know, and we kind of called a lot of the stuff, and that was exactly what that guy pretty much got a feeling for his personality and what he was doing. You see, no, why did you think he was a cop, and why did you think he had a naval background? Okay, naval background because of the knot. The knot, okay, diamond knot. Diamond knot is heavily associated. Okay, let me back up. 
I'm ex-military. I was in the 101st Airborne Division. I was an infantryman. I had a lot of friends that ended up into special operations, you know, 5th and 7th Group Special Forces. Uh, guys that I grew up with ended up, I come from an era where young boys played cops and robbers. They wanted to play war, you know, acting like they were soldiers. And a lot of the guys that I grew up with ended up becoming policemen and soldiers and so, sure. and, and, and criminals too. You know, I know guys on both sides of the law and there's a lot, they have a lot in common at a certain level. Um, well, later on, I ended up, you know, after I got out of the army, I ended up, re you know, I like to read a lot. And one of the one of the books that I had read was a was a book written by a man who helped write the FBI profiling manual when it comes to serial murder. So I read that book and I kind of internalized what this guy did to make the FBI manual. So I had never heard of the case really before. You know, I'm sitting here listening to Jenny present the case, you know, in the show, and I'm acting as like the audience. So as she's telling me, giving me the evidence and telling me what exactly, you know, what it, what transpired or what supposedly transpired, I'm getting a, a feel for this guy. And uh, some of the stuff, you know, uh, that a law enforcement agent does, a soldier also kind of does, especially if he, you know, deploys to certain theaters. Like I, I was deployed uh, in the Middle East and Korea. Along, along that DMZ. So I was a military policeman is what they called me for a while. I called a, a DMZ MP. And part of our training was to walk around uh, in the middle of the night with machine guns and climb through people's backyards. That was part of our training. We just did it. Right. You know? Moving from one place to the next. So I know what it's like to walk around in public secretively, heavily armed. Without anyone seeing Without anyone seeing you. Yeah. All right. You'd be surprised. You could walk right down through the middle of a neighborhood with an AK-47 in broad daylight. And the chances are you wouldn't be seen. You would think that you'd be seen, but you probably wouldn't be. Well, most people don't pay attention. Most people, I aren't, don't looking pay out, attention. Most people aren't looking out their windows. Most people are, yeah. have the windows shut and they're looking at something inside their house. Well, there so was you, all this material about the East Area Rapist that he had to have known these places. Well, like he had so. to have been there waiting so people had speculated that he was either like a postman or he or was a policeman that's what i was he saying. had done extensive surveillance i mean yeah. they're thinking that he had done extensive surveillance yeah. on several houses yeah. in a particular neighborhood right. before he would pick one to attack I'm, so he had been lurking around right. in the neighborhood watching for uh, a long time prior to him attacking he was a cop and he was just deployed into those areas he carried a gun right in those areas and did it during the daytime and he realized that nobody noticed him so while he was doing that he was also casing the joint and he was coming back later and and running around with a gun in his pocket or sometimes maybe even fully exposed you know with a mask on his face something like that and he's doing that and nobody's noticing him either so he just got comfortable in those areas he realized he could do it so that led me to believe that he was either a cop Casing the joint and doing it, or he was an ex-military postman who happened to be delivering mail in that area. Mm -hmm. The reason why I was why I was thinking that is because usually the kind of personality that ends up becoming a serial killer does not have the the, the discipline or the expertise to make it as a cop for very long. But maybe he could make it as a postman. But my problem with postmen is is that those guys are running a route and they have they, they have they don't have much time on their hands. 
Right. To get that mail delivered. Whereas a policeman would be constantly probably sitting in his car in one spot. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and idle hands do the devil's work, basically. Yeah. yeah. I just didn't want to accept that this dude had the wherewithal to be a cop. But I had this weird vision of him coming through the man, coming through the windows and casing out the joints and unloading guns before the ambush. I'm like, this guy can pre-plan an attack. He's at least military. Right. Yeah. Right. Because uh, when you set an ambush for, for an enemy unit, you only do it in what's called a kill zone. And a kill zone is an area where you've pre-planned to ambush the enemy. And you're in there hours before or days before the enemy ever comes. You're planting mines behind all the cover. You're setting booby traps in there. You're going to dominate that kill zone. So when he walks into it, it's your land, not his. You're going to control everything that happens to the to to the enemy force that you ambush. Have, that's what he's doing into those houses. Yeah, he was breaking into some of the houses Breaking beforehand into the houses beforehand. And leaving things there leaving, to use later. Leaving weapons in there to use later, unloading their guns. There, yeah, yeah. Have so they, they said much about his military background? I mean, was he like a special forces guy? His Navy. Yeah, he was yeah. Navy. I think he served in Vietnam yeah. on a particular ship, the USS Canberra, I think we said. Right. Now, what, um, I don't know. Like, I don't think his service was particularly outstanding but and I don't it wasn't think... combat oriented no i don't think so either but, but but you're still trained for that you're trained yeah, yeah. to train yourself so yeah. what he probably did was is he goes well i'm going to check the tms for probably like navy seals and see how they do things how they set traps and ambushes so he read what's called the tm or the technical manual and then he linked that up with his law enforcement training and he had he had enough yeah, there because he did have a degree in criminal right. justice. Most training is actually conceptual training. Instructions on okay, like you must clear the kill zone. You have to put booby traps behind all the cover. In other words, it's more like a philosophy. You know, training really doesn't have anything to do with conditioning or actually doing it. That's something you have to go out and do on your own. And uh, uh, military training <laughs> never really conditions you for combat per se. You actually have to go out into the field to get that conditioning. And other, you know. Well, yeah, so most it, of it's hypothetical. Most of it's hypothetical until you're out in the field. And that's what he was doing. He was out in the field. Yeah. So he had the ability to give himself that training or give himself that conditioning. Yeah. What did you guys think about the way that he was caught? Was that, that, oh my God. It was, it to me, it seemed so crazy because it was so, it almost seemed like it wouldn't have happened because. Yeah. Because they were looking through genealogical data databases from particular DNA sites, I thought to myself, I was like, you know, if a distant relative of his had not uploaded their genetic profile to a to an open source DNA ancestry site, they might have never found him. He might have got away with it forever. Yeah. Because he's older, yeah. he's in his seventies now. In a way, yeah. he did get away with it. He got well, away with he it did. He got away with it for a long time. Yeah. I mean, the last crime that he is thought to have committed was in the eighties, nineteen eighty six, right? Yeah. So he's been like living a yeah. normal life since then. I consider evidently, it, although it wouldn't surprise me if he had committed some more crimes in there somewhere that they don't know about yet. I like to say that he actually beat that case. He beat that rap biologically. Because now he's so old, he's escaped punishment. 
Yeah, you, even if they give him the death penalty now, yeah, it's, they, like, it's not like it's not like they're he, you know it's not like they're they're knocking twenty or forty years of his life right. away. He probably would have died. He would have died anyway. And, and here's the thing: they give him the death sentence. That's going to be the same as a life sentence because it's going to take fifteen to twenty years to implement. Well, that death yeah, it sentence. always does because of all the appeals. Yeah. So I he, kind of they probably won't even give him that because well, if he wanted to, he could sit there and just screw the courts over for the next 15 years and never face trial and die in captivity. Right. Although, yeah. They think that's what they think that's what uh, Bill Cosby is going to do. Yeah, probably. probably. Yeah. It would be nice if this guy would actually I mean, at least if they're not going to put him to death if he's just going to die in prison, at least admit to it, at least say what happened so the families can have some closure. I don't know if he's going to do that because he doesn't seem like that type of personality to do that. But it would be really nice if he could do that. So at least the families would know what happened before he died. It could go either way, I think. He could either take credit for it and grandstand. I'm the world's greatest serial like killer. BTK. Like BTK did. And he goes, BTK. Oh, excuse me. Screw BTK. <laughs> <laughs> Rob is writing that down. Right <laughs> Mark <laughs> one. <laughs> BTK is, this is how he's going to be. BTK is an amateur compared to me. He's just a dog yeah. cat. Me, I'm a commando. All right, this is what I did. I did this one, that one, this one, that one, this one, that one. And, he, and he gives this big, long confession where he gloats. It can well, go that way. It, it seems yeah. like to me, and I'm reading this book right now that we're going to do another book review on soon called Program to Kill. And I got another question I'll ask you guys later about this. But uh, th- that author, Dave McGowan, who's long since passed, he talks about how a lot of these serial killers have a fascination with – the police and with the military. Uh, who did he talk about? John Wayne Gacy, uh, Kemper had a, people he would hang out with cops. Kemper was a guy, if you've seen um, that Netflix show, Mindhunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, you know, he would hang out with police. Uh, yep. So a lot of them, uh, Bundy had some, he was doing in criminal justice. So it's weird that a lot of them have this – they have all this fascination with police and police work. What do you guys think about that? I kind of feel like – well, here's the thing. and We just mentioned this on our most recent show, which was about the Long Island serial killer who has not been caught thus far, I don't think, unless it was that one guy that they caught in 2017. But we were talking about in our news segment how – there are particular careers that seem more attractive to the type of guys that become serial killers. And the number one job, uh, skilled labor of serial killers is police officer or security guard. Second of them is military. Um, so I kind of feel like there's a similar sort of thing between the types of people that become police officers or military officers and the types of people that become serious. Cause it's almost like, and if they, they almost like revel in an authoritarian point yeah. of view, they like power. They like having power over other people. There's also the respect and admiration of peers. Right. And, that too. And authority over, um, subordinates. Yeah. They're big into that. So, yeah, they like having control right. over other people's now, most behavior them, or movements. Most of them don't have what it takes to actually ever be a cop or a good soldier. They just mm. don't have it. All right? They just wish they did. Most right. Of them, They're wannabes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I feel like a lot of it is kind of right. a wannabe mentality. Yeah. Like even when you get the, the few that have been like – we talked about 
Dennis Nielsen, who recently uh, died in prison. Yeah. British, a very famous British serial killer who was also a cop at one point and had also been in the military. And they also, they all have that kind of thing where they just, they like to have control over other people. Yeah. And I feel like that's a very attractive proposition Yeah, for that type of personality well, that kind of attracts both serial killers and normal people into the police. And the well, military. they want to be alpha males and right. they think that that's what an alpha male is all yeah, about, yeah, but they exactly. don't really understand what that is. And they, they, they like, yeah, they exactly. Like you said, they like the discipline. They like the self-control because most of them are driven by that compulsory stuff. Yeah, right, right. Right. And, uh, when they got BTK into custody, they said it was weird. Cause when they would bring him in, you know, when they were questioning him, mm-hmm. he sat there as, and tried to be chummy with the cops as if they were all peers working right. together and that they were all on the same side. They were yeah. all professionals. Right. You know, and they're looking at this guy like he's a scumbag. Well, and BTK yeah. definitely came came across yeah. like that to me. Like yeah. he thought he was... Thought he was the same as hey, a child. I'm one of you. I'm one of you guys, yeah. Right, yeah, he definitely came across like that. And you could see why people that were actually cops or yeah. actually military yeah, and yeah. actually the discipline were like just like, shit. man, yeah, I don't like right. that. Yeah. So, so should we look at security guards kind of weird? <laughs> yeah. Maybe, but, well, the thing is, it's like... Actually, it's, I would say, you, let me tell you something about security guards. A lot of those security guards, guards are guys that have just gotten out of the military. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Before they're, they're looking for another job. So that's where they go while they're un- unemployed, basically. And, and some of them are old vets that were retired. So not every security guard is exactly what it seems. What what he seems, you know. Yeah, it's just some of them are want to be rent a cop, right. but other ones are just old veterans. And I'll tell you what: once once a veteran gets to a certain age, he doesn't really care. He's just there for a paycheck. <laughs> I, I've done it before, so I'm not. Yeah. Oh, you have. <laughs> yeah, they don't care. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but it just but it just always is this these few people. It's not like all security guards or all ex military people, you know. It's just these few people, but it's just of those few people, there's a majority of them that seem to have that fascination. Okay. Well, we're back from the internet crapping out on us because of the evil Illuminati deep state squirrels. Exactly. Once again. Globalists. Globalists. Exactly. Yes. I mean, Alex Jones would be ripping his shirt off right now and screaming. We're breaking the conditioning. Please don't even give me that mental image. (laughs) (laughs) There's just something to be said for the energy that that man carries. Not really. Do you listen? Do you you listen (laughs) to Alex Jones, Tom? What's that? Do you listen to Alex Jones? He does. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I do. It's a but bone of contention. I can, his his voice gets me a migraine. <laughs> I only listen to him on shortwave so that the night is Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to have a sufficient level of testosterone in your bloodstream in order to take ha- Howard Stern. You got Not Howard Stern. Oh, excuse me. Well, I've been drinking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you got to take super male vitality. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't have the patience for them too. Here's here's the thing with Alex. Alex, I got a lot of respect for Alex. He's been running that business for a long time, and he's very successful. Uh, What Alex says, I take with a grain of salt. It is entertainment, but it isn't always false. A lot of the stuff that he talks about turned out to be true over time. Oh sure, yeah, I would agree with that statement. Absolutely. he will characterize it in a very hyperbolic way, but that's his delivery. That's his show. That's how he does it. And he's got great guests. 
you know? I still and can't watch it though. It gives me a headache. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> I, like, I, I like to watch, I like to watch theory conspiracy become kind of conspiracy, uh, conspiracy fact. Some of it actually turns out to be true or true ish. Uh, things that were not true, he just stops talking about that. And eventually he, kinda, he will kind of home in on something. Like, I never believed in this geoengineering, but it turns out geoengineering is a fact. And weather weapons were a fact. They really were trying to do that. Whether yeah. or not they were successful, I, I think that's right. I right. Think still up for you know grabs. But right, exactly. Fight, a lot of interesting stuff on his show. And, you know, a lot of food for thought. Let's talk some paranormal. Go for it. Since yeah. we're on that subject. Uh, one of the things that's always interested me, and you guys covered this in, in a recent show, Jenny, was the Borley Rectory. Mm. Yeah. I just kind of like, what's the background to that? And then, you know, what's your thoughts on it? You know, are we dealing, because I love you guys' show because you guys do take kind of a skeptical, although Tom has had experiences, which we've talked about on this show. Yeah. Uh, and- Witnessed it. Yeah, but you guys still have yeah. a very spect- skeptical, down-to-earth viewpoint on all this paranormal yeah. stuff. You got to. Yeah. You well, because the thing is, like, I come from a very skeptical, scientifically-based background. I've always been interested in science since I was a kid. So I'm interested in paranormal stuff, but I approach it from the point of view of, that didn't happen, prove it to me. I come from Like, a- we've seen it yeah. at our house. Yeah, but I have another way of looking at it. There is the paranormal, and then there is the paranormal industry. All right, there are people that like to make money off of the paranormal. You have to be able to understand, or you have to be able to try to figure out. And as a, as somebody who's like, if I was an audience member and I had never witnessed anything paranormal, I would really be hard pressed to believe in it. I would think. But I've actually seen things that that fall under the realm of paranormal. Yeah. I've actually seen them myself. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But over 90% of the stuff that I hear about online and on the radio about the paranormal, I don't believe. Hmm. Uh, but that doesn't mean I don't listen to it. Like Art Bell, for example. Right. Bell had a great, fantastic show. I was always entertained with Art Bell. But it didn't necessarily mean that I believed in all of it. And you don't have to believe in all of it. It's it's a form of entertainment. Yeah, it absolutely is. But it absolutely I, is. I tell you what, this is to people who have never seen anything paranormal. There are paranormal things that do happen. I've seen them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, same. I've seen them. So is Jenny. But it just, you know, when you see it, you but know But the it. thing is that when it's paranormal like pornography. things... Like pornography. <laughs> <laughs> you know it when you see yeah, it. <laughs> when, when paranormal things occur. Because yeah. like I said, I come from a very, very skeptical, very science-based background. I was interested in the paranormal when I was a teenager, but I kind of got, I was kind of more interested in science. So most of the stuff about paranormal I thought was probably not true because it was mostly witness accounts. And, you know, that's not really the best yeah. You know, thing to, that's not the best evidence. So, I mean, even when I was writing the book and I'm, when I was writing about Borley Rectory and stuff like that, the thing about Borley Rectory is that even though I first got interested in Borley Rectory when I read about it in, 
I had a Reader's Digest book from like. The, That's right. The question was about Borley Rectory. Yeah. We went on this. <laughs> Yeah, getting back to that. that I'm sorry. Well, that's see, enough. that's what happens yeah. when I have to get you back to that. <laughs> so I had a book from, yeah. I think it was from 1971, 1972. Yeah. yeah. My grandparents gave it to me. It's called Strange Stories, Amazing Facts. Yeah. That was where I first learned about Borley Rectory, which is called the, the most haunted house in England. And there was all this stuff about people had seen, like, the ghost of a nun, and they'd yeah. seen, like... He- uh, like a headless phantoms, like driving a carriage. Yeah. Outside Juicy and- stuff. Right. And yeah, there was like writing on the walls, like asking for help and stuff. And I was like fascinated with the case, especially because they had photos in the book and everything. And the more I looked into it, cause you know, we were thinking, well, we should do a show about that. Cause it's a very famous case. I mean, the rectory is not there anymore. It's now like a field, but, um, you know, since it was so famous, we figured we should do a show on it. We got so many requests about it. And I've kind of come to the conclusion that probably most of that was fabricated. Yeah. But I don't really know. And the thing is that a lot of people have reported, and I didn't really know this until I, until I started researching the show, but um, a lot of people have reported paranormal activity at the church across from Borley Rectory, which is actually still there and is still standing, um, that hasn't really been reported. So I kind of feel like the Borley Rectory thing was maybe there was some kind of seed of something that was going on there. There was probably maybe some paranormal. I think like, it was legend. Poltergeist activity. Yeah. I think most of the apparitions. Yeah. And most of the writing on the walls was probably fabricated. Yeah. Um, or at least exaggerated. The pro- One of the big problems in the paranormal scene is that for many people, paranormal is being used as some kind of supporting evidence for the supernatural. All right. And usually religion is kind of linked with these ideas of the supernatural. I've seen paranormal. I've seen poltergeist. I've seen out OBE and NDE. I had a near death experience. I wrote about it in my book and I still don't think it was supernatural. I think science could explain that. I think it was just another dimension. There's a difference between supernatural, which I don't think exists. Right. And paranormal, Paranormal. which I think is just scientific stuff that we haven't discovered. Here's the problem. If you survive after death and you're like a ghost or a spirit, that doesn't mean that the Bible is true. That doesn't mean that Islam is true. That doesn't mean that Judaism is true. It just means that you survive after death. That's all it means. Yeah. And 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 a lot of people have a hard time with that. that There could be a scientific basis of that. What I was saying was I was saying the paranormal does not actually support religions just because you might survive after death, just because you might see another person who survived after death. In other words, like a ghost, that wouldn't mean that the Bible was true. That wouldn't mean that Judaism is true. That wouldn't mean that Islam is true. It just means that you survive after death. And there are some scientific explanations of why you might survive after death. You know? Yeah. Well, and I kind of feel like if you do survive after death, hypothetically, that there would have to be a scientific reason for it. That's why I prefer the term paranormal rather than supernatural, because I think supernatural implies something outside of nature. Right. And and, and I I don't think that there's anything outside outside of of nature. nature. 
I had a near-death experience, an out-of-body experience, and had a poltergeist experience when I was a kid. And all of those, I say, were paranormal but not supernatural. I went through the whole near-death experience, the tunnel of light, life review, uh, talking to some kind of a higher version of yourself like a daemon. I went through all that. And I think it was real. You know, Some scientists would say, well, it's the hallucinations of a dying brain. Although it did feel a lot like uh, OBE and Poltergeist. It felt like that was all in the same genre. Uh, I personally kind of think that, nah, you, you survive after death. But I didn't see – I saw the realm that a lot of religious people would call heaven. But it's not quite exactly the same heaven as described in the Bible. There well, was no I, final I, judgment or no, none of the, no angels with wings or anything. You know, There's nothing like that. Go ahead. I, I think that you have science and the possibility that, yeah, paranormal, you could explain it as, well, you, what does para mean? Above normal. Yeah. So it could just be something that is normal that we just we just haven't really discovered it yet. And right. then you have faith and you have religion, and that's a separate thing. But people right. like to, I think through our popular culture, people like to mix the two a lot right. and say, well— because I used to really think, you know, like the whole ghost thing, well, that's justification. And it is, in a way, kind of justification that life that you could survive after death. But is it justification for all the other stuff no. that's built on top of that? How far no, can it, you take it? You know? Right. Well, here's the thing I'm, a, I'm an atheist. I consider myself to be with a Christian mythicist, really. Okay. It's kind of my, my background. Sure. But I'm not but I'm not anti-religious. I like religions. I think having a religion actually helps an individual get through life. It has a faith like what you're talking about. Yeah, I uh, agree. can give a special special ability, special endurance in hardship, you know. Uh, now it doesn't necessarily have to be Christianity, you know. Just as long as it's something that's kind of true <clears throat> or close to true because truth is another real difficult thing, you know. Truth Truth is a lot of sub just a lot of subjectivity in truth. Yeah, what yes. what is truth, right? Is I mean, truth. even Jesus said that. What is truth? You know? As long as it's a religion that helps you, helps you get through hard things, helps you deal with other people and other situations better, then that's a good religion. I don't care what it is. Well, you know hey, what I mean? a question about Borley Rectory. Um, yeah. Harry Price, do you guys feel like he kind of played it up since a lot of it came from him? That he played up the whole thing, and it's was that it was a lot less than it actually was supposed to have been. I feel like he might have. Like, I hate to cast aspersions on him because you know he passed away and he's not around to defend himself. But I'm kind of willing to go with the Society for Psychical Research on this. That I mean, ninety five percent of them afterwards kind of came forward and said, you know, his investigation into Borley Rectory kind of showed that he had exaggerated the claims or that he had done them himself. He was, you know, a magician, a conjurer. So he had done some of the poltergeist activity himself, maybe. Bor Borley Rectory is uh, legends based upon hoaxes. I kind sure, of yeah. feel like that yeah. might have been the case. Yeah. You want a real poltergeist case, you want to look at uh, Enfield. That's a real one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. We have to mention also. Although uh, I have to mention Guy Lyon Playfair. That's right. Who he wrote just, the book about the mm -hmm. Enfield poltergeist. This house is haunted. He just died. He just passed away yeah. on April eighth. Yeah. 
I didn't know until one of our podcast fans right. told me. And I'd also <laughs> like to like uh, I'd also like to mention that in the Enfield case, not every report inside that case is authentic. Not not, not all of that happened. Right, because the girls, yeah. but they might have faked things, yeah. and then later on, people might have over embellished it. Yeah. Exactly. And that's like that's kind of like the the issue I ran into, especially when I was investigating my book about poltergeist yeah. infestations. Is that if a you lot of call times? It an infestation. Yeah, yeah, it's like a lot of times you're relying on witness testimony, mm-hmm. and you don't really know if that person actually saw what they said they saw, or if they had some ulterior motive in saying. Right. You know, there's no, like, outside corroboration. The police said that they saw a chair move. I'd take that to the bank. The uh, yeah. the news reporter said they got hit in the head with, with Lego bricks. I'd take that to the bank. Uh, that's pretty much what was happening in my case, which was which is now known as the Mammoth Mountain Poltergeist. In a poltergeist case, there's young children. One of them, well, At least one of them is exhibiting RSPK, which is recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis. Objects are moving. And they're not moving by normal means. That does happen. I've seen it myself. So do my family members. Uh, the only thing that I've ever found that could explain it is some certain types of uh, quantum physics. You know, which well, uh, you know that, that would be about, Stuart Hameroff. Stuart Hameroff talks about that kind of stuff. And the thing about Borley Rectory too is that there wasn't really a lot of poltergeist phenomena reported. The patterns aren't until right. Harry Price came right. to. Mm-hmm. investigate at one point yeah. even some of the people that lived in the home said that harry price might have faked some of yeah. the phenomena like prior to that yeah. it had been pretty much apparitional type of phenomena right we saw a nun in the yard we right. saw you know a phantom carriage with headless coachmen we saw right. that kind of thing it was apparitions and then after harry price arrived to investigate then suddenly things were flying around. Right. Things were there was poltergeist phenomena. Right, but Bo- Borley Rectory is a famous case. Uh, it's an interesting case. It's not an authentic case. I would me. like really. though more investigation because, like I said, when I was investigating the episode, I didn't realize that the church that's across from where Borley Rectory used to stand, because obviously it's not there anymore. Um, but the church opposite that has actually had a lot of paranormal investigation uh you know or a lot of paranormal things uh reported there that has really not been investigated to a great extent Hmm. well so i kind of feel like stuff should more be done about that rather than the site where yeah i think it's going over the same old ground yeah yeah, I, I think it's, totally there's is. a bunch of legends there. So new people arrive to the scene and then they see some shit. Oh, I saw this. I saw that. So they just add, they're adding to the legend. I, I think. Right. Like I said, uh, that's yeah. kind of the problem about investigating right. a lot of these paranormal If you go to a place, that. if a place becomes legendary for paranormal phenomenon, people will, people are bound to arrive at that scene and add to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? True. An- another case that, combines true crime and the paranormal. And you guys seen when you were did this episode that you seemed like there may be something a lot more to this one was the Herb Bowmaster and the Fox Hollow Farm. And yeah. Of course, this is famous because this has been on, I think, both a haunting and paranormal witness, if I'm yep. correct. Yeah. Yeah. 
this is actually, this is a crazy case. And this is one that we had actually a lot of um, requests to do this one. And I wanted to do this one because, like I said, there was a lot of paranormal people that were interested in it. Yeah. And a lot of true crime, true crime people, people that, that were Right. So it had, it had elements of both it scenes. It had like a crossover thing. Right, yeah. And I'll because, tell you what, man, the, the, the true crime scene right now is huge. Oh, yeah. Whenever we... Whenever we do a show on true, true crime, it does 10 times what our paranormal does. Sad, but that's true. Well, you know? I love true crime, so I yeah. can't say it's sad. Right, but, it's you true. Know, I, I write books on true crime, right. so I can't say. I, I like, I love paranormal, but you know. I know. But true crime, true crime is easy to prove that that really happened because there's physical evidence left behind. Right. And, exactly. it's a, it's a, and it's a variation of the idea of monsters are real. It's just that these monsters are humans. That's one yeah. of the reasons why it sells so well. Well, they are real. Right. Because these are people that actually did right. this stuff. But about that, case, about that case, do you really think there's anything paranormal happening there? I'm not really sure about that. Although, yeah. if, if I had to say, like I said, I'm not a huge, I'm very skeptical as far as uh, paranormal stuff goes. But if there was any place that was haunted... It would be it would be this right, place. Yeah. Well, yeah, what's the what's the background on her Bowmaster and Fox Hollow Farm? What's the background on it? This dude, and I honestly only ever because I'm kind of a serial killer connoisseur, right? Right. And it's like I study this stuff for a living, and it's yeah. like, but I didn't know about this guy until we saw it. It might have been a haunting, might have been paranormal witness. I can't it was remember. Paranormal I, witness. Yeah, I think it was on both shows. But they actually talked about his house, which was Fox Hollow Farm. Yeah. And they talked about the haunting that took place there. And then they only later went back and talked about the serial killings that took place on his farm. But right. this dude. Right. And he was a rich guy. He was he very was. rich. Well, yeah. he owned um, he owned a, ch well, it was like a, a chain of little dollar I don't want to say chain. It was only two or three stores. Two or three. Store I guess you could say Stores, this. but right. it was like two or three stores. They little were called Save-A-Lot. They were like little dollar stores. Yeah. Not to yeah. be confused with the Save-A-Lot right. grocery store. It's not that guy. Guy was married. He was actually kind of had that religious. He was married. He had yeah. kids. He kind of had that uh, Republican kind of old school Republican religious kind of. Yeah, kind of, kind of he was very conservative. He but was really what he was is he was like this closeted gay creeper slash strangler. And he would yeah. pick up young guys, creep on them, yeah. take them to the pool, strangle them. And he had a bunch of weird uh, yeah. mannequins everywhere. Well, what he would do was he would go yeah. to this particular bar. He would pick up gay men. Yeah. And he would bring them. And he gave them a false name. The false name was usually Brian Smart. And he would bring them back to his very nice house. His gay lair. It was a beautiful house. <laughs> yeah. It was on several acres. Yeah. <laughs> he would bring, he had an indoor pool. Yeah. The indoor pool had, and this is creepy as hell, but really, the indoor pool had, he had all these mannequins around yeah. the pool that were dressed up. Yeah. <laughs> as though someone, as though it was he like was a, a big pool party. He was a little perv, you know. <laughs> Yeah, he was just totally, he was totally weird dude. Herb and, the perv. Yeah, he was yeah. all perved out. He would bring these dudes back to his house, and then he would say to the dudes, oh, well, I'm into this erotic asphyxiation. Yeah, he started loving on them. And which a lot of people are into, you <laughs> know, no judgment. He'd, he'd put a damn garden hose around their necks. And or hands. hands. We're not really sure. Right. Well, uh, whether he strangled yeah. them with hands or a hose, I'm not yeah. really sure. 
but evidently he would bring them in the pool and yeah. he would be all like, yeah, I'm into this. Do this to me first. Right, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And then he would do it to the victim and then he would not stop. Yeah, he'd choke them out until they died. And then he would choke them until they died and then he would just bury them in the backyard somewhere on well, his had, land. He had like this little cubby hole where he'd let them rot up for a while. So and the then- people that moved out, like, yeah. well, he got, he got, well, no, he killed himself, right? So he kills himself, and then the wife moves out of there. They sell the place, and these new people move in. Yeah, yeah. And didn't a kid, or no, before that, actually, like, his wife, their kid found a skull and brought it into the house. (laughs) That's what kills me. One of the kids, like, here's the thing. He wasn't actually even burying them. He was just throwing them out in the woods. Pretty much. Well, Pretty they good. had like a large yeah. property. It was right. it was several. It was like eighteen acres or something right. like that. And one of yeah. the kids who was like a teenager, he found a skull on the property, and he was like to his mom, he's like, "Hey, what's this?" And she was like, "Oh, I don't know." And she asked Herb about it. Yeah. And he says, "Oh, well, his dad was a, a doctor." Yeah. So he said, oh, well, that's one of my dad's cadavers that he was working on. It's oh nothing to work. Oh, my God. <laughs> he played right. it off like it was a, like it was a medical right. skeleton. And his yeah. wife was all kind of like, okay, yeah. no big. Okay, and, no problem, honey. Yeah. Right. Nothing happened. Right. And so so no one knew anything for a long time. And then later on. Yeah. But the question was, when, is anything paranormal happening there? Well, later on, when yeah. the Graves family, who, as far as I know, still live there, right. when they bought the farm. Now, they did know when they were purchasing the home, the realtor did inform them that this property was once owned by serial killer Her Baumeister. Right. Was that okay with them? I would have bought it instantly. Well, it was cheap. Yeah, good price, right? Mm-hmm. You I see would, the house is a beautiful property. That's what I mean. I wouldn't I'd have moved right in there. I wouldn't care. Yeah, but the, so I would have gone all Silence of the Lambs on there, man. I wouldn't have said anything. <laughs> Wait, on Silence of the Lambs and the fact that no, you're no, like no, cutting people up? No, I just meant I wouldn't say anything. Everybody would have known that I had tours in there. Well, the only hell problem no, see, nah. I wouldn't be worried about a haunting. I'd be more worried about like mm-hmm. people lurking on your property. Right. Make a long story short. New people moved in, and they're uh, the Graves uh, family. Yeah, the Graves Robin family, Vicky. and they had a, uh, a guy that was renting out the Joe. Uh, right, Joe. Joe LeBlanc. He was renting out the, I guess you could say, like the caretakers. It was condo. Like, it was an apartment, like it was on like a the little same apartment property. there. And he kept. Uh, he heard somebody knocking at the door in the middle of the night, trying to bust their way in. He opened it up, and he, and he and saw. And there's no one there yet. You know, nobody there, but well, he, plus him and the wife, Vicky. But then he seen they saw an apparition, an apparition of, of a man with a red T-shirt. On. Yeah, and he was like uh, on the property. Also, there was another guy who was like wet and screaming for help. A yes. uh, little, you know, what what they call in the gay scene a twink, which is a cute, a cute, skinny little guy. They saw a twink. Yeah, that's well, what they saw. Yeah, who was screaming, was screaming and wet? Right, yeah, wet, like he was being drowned in the pool. Which right. is probably that's what, what happened said. to most of her Baumeister's right. victims. Right. It's kind of thought that he brought most of the victims back to his house right. saying, oh, I have a nice house. I have an indoor pool, all this other stuff. So guys were like, right. okay, whatever. We'll go back to your house. And then he was saying, I'm into autoerotic asphyxiation. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, well, you can do it to me and then I'll do it to you. 
And then, but the question is, he is did it to them and the question them. is, is it, is it a strong case? I would say if there was a place that was haunted, if a place could be haunted, that particular place would have would be very likely. I kind of feel like this would be a because good a candidate. Bun- a bunch of people met their ends there. Yes. Uh, so and several of the victims, I mean, they found several bodies right. on the property. Right. Only eight of them have but been when, identified, and there are several that it com- haven't been. But when it comes to the to the haunting itself, it's only been witness testimony. So uh, I would have to say that that place would have to be investigated. To a greater extent. Now, ghost hunters have been there. Right. Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put well, much yeah, to that. Well, yeah, I know. I wouldn't okay. either. <laughs> um, it's a good candidate. What about ghost adventures? Because I know Jenny loves uh, uh, Zach a lot. So That's, that, that's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay. We, we have mentioned this on our show. We know a local rock star that is just like that guy. I, like, I hate to, <laughs> no. like, here's the thing. Tom will shit on people. <laughs> I I am I am more reluctant to, but the Ghost Adventures dudes, especially Zach, I uh, Zach has a job. That dude is right. such a douchebag. Okay. What is yep. <laughs> that's the word I was looking for? Yeah, yeah. What is that about? I just understand that Zach has a job to do, and his job is to get renewed and get to more get Which, more seasons. Fair enough. And fair enough. Television markets to the lowest common denominator. Yep. If you put me onto a television show. They have show, to produce. I understand. If you put me on a television show and gave me $150,000 a year, I would do any song and dance possible to get renewed. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of just like Idiocracy, the show. Have you guys seen Idiocracy? Have you seen Idiocracy? Yeah, one of my favorite movies. Yeah, the, yeah. the show that's on there, like, uh, ouch, it's ouch by balls or whatever. Yeah. People just get hit in the balls. <laughs> yeah. If you gave me $150,000, I would give you ball shots all day long. And that's what they're doing. Yeah, pretty much. I, would, and, I don't even have balls. And right. I and she didn't have balls. <laughs> that's, that's what, and that's what, you know, and that's what's happening on these paranormal right. ghost, yeah. ghost hunter programs. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows it. Yeah. And and it's okay. I really don't care because look who's watching television. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the well, lowest common denominator. Like I said, They're I not know. Into, those people are not into the paranormal per se. That is, those shows are the successor to Ricky Lake. Remember Ricky Lake? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, all that, that, the yeah. talk shows. Right. That you know, era. that's the successor to Ricky Lake. Uh, who was the other guy? Sally Jesse Raphael. Sally Jesse Raphael. That, it's just that. That's Warren what that Danny is. Jr. It's not real paranormal. Right, back in the days of the satanic panic, back in the good old days. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I don't blame them necessarily. Like, I don't like to shit on ghost adventures specifically because a lot of paranormal shows are like that. It's a paycheck. Yeah, like, a lot of them are fun. Like, I like Ghost Brothers. I like yeah. some of the other ghost if shows. If you're going to watch that, watch Ghost Brothers. Yeah, they're funny. They're entertaining. Yeah, entertaining. But don't take it too seriously because... Yeah. I kind of feel like they're, you know, they want ratings. They want people to watch the show. So it's like they're going to kind of like embellish things to make it seem like shit happened there when nothing really happened. So, you know. It's just ghost exploitation. Right. 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 That's a good way of putting it. You guys also have this love for the TV series, A Haunting, though. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do. We do. Yeah. I I really have an affection for a haunting. Well, because (laughs) the cool thing about a haunting is that they don't even attempt to make it like a ghost investigation. They're like, look, we're just going by what people said and we're making a reenactment based on what they said. So it doesn't even matter if it's true or not. No. It's like, is it scary? Is it entertaining? Then good. And then they kind of edit it in together. And if you really look at it closely, each episode of the haunting is almost kind of like a reboot of Amityville horror. If you yeah, can, they, they are. They're all it's like almost kind of like watching to right. one particular. Go back sure. and watch Amityville Horror, and you will yeah. see they're all like, well, you know what? That's like an episode of The Haunting. Yeah, yeah. Without the narration, you, you know what gets me about the uh, the haunting in general is you'll hear the uh, the narrative from the people that experienced it, which is really cool. But then they show the reenactments. And like yeah. they'll show all kinds of stuff that the people don't describe at all. Like, exactly. You know, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be like, "I was woken up, up out of bed from a strange noise," and they, you know, they spring out of bed and there's blood coming on the walls. And like, <laughs> yeah. the later seasons, you got somebody dressed up like a demon, just like leering at them, <laughs> the, you know, like some spotlight on them. And they're like, ah, with their tongue sticking out. That, oh my god, that yeah. kills me every they're single show, time. They're showing, showing you what what they want to show you instead what of what. Want, right. uh, it's like you know the witness will say yeah i had this really weird feeling that someone was in the room and then like the reenactment will show some demon like working behind (laughs) the doors yeah it's like they didn't say that they They didn't actually say it (laughs) they just said oh i felt someone but i'll tell you i'll tell you what the first few seasons of the haunting are actually my favorite yeah they're actually pretty good yeah Yeah. they were real good like the first uh two seasons i think were the best i still like man said i could they kind of went off the rails. Yeah, they they, they actually on. approached me to do an episode. And yeah, you have been approached several yeah, times to do an episode. Yeah, I, instead I went with this NPR radio thing that I'm not quite done with. They put me in the studio for that, but I'll, I'll be done with that soon. They want to finish it over the – they couldn't get enough of my story. They, they said, okay, that, that's good enough, and I left the studio. We went to his studio said, to record his story. Through editing, we need about another 10 minutes, so we need to call you back and, you know – I have enough sound equipment here to, to complete the recording for them. It's just that I got to get on the phone and do a phone interview with them. But well, I didn't, didn't want to go the, the haunting route because in the haunting series, uh, episode, in the haunting series, it's on Destination America, and there's some shit that they have to do in order to get it on the show, and it has to be about ghosts too. Right. Yeah. All right. Right. So they're like, you know what? Your story doesn't really isn't really closely defined it doesn't as a ghost adhere story. to the formula. And and they're like, is there anything we can do about that? And I went, uh, well, how, how much are we talking about here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. And, 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 yeah. And, and, and here's the thing: that medium is is rapidly going obsolete. They want to make a show with your material and your story, and they want you to bend to their criteria. For, for, and they're going to give you two hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. Like, right, well, right. What? We didn't get any money for that. <laughs> they didn't give us any. You know, money that's for like it. laughable. But I can understand. If, I can understand if it's a Hollywood producer or a Hollywood director coming at me saying, "We want to make a full length motion picture based upon your story, and as long as you sign on the dotted line, we'll give you two hundred and fifty 
thousand dollars. Well, yeah, that'd be different. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, like, do whatever you and want. And I'd be like, it. well, will I be able to give my own interviews my own way afterwards? And as long as they say, yeah, then I'd sign on that. But I'm not going to sell my, you know, I'm not going to sell my honor and the truth. Over right. that kind of, for $200, yeah. yeah. It takes much more than that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One of the things I loved you guys talking about uh, with, a, with a haunting is when you guys – it cracked me up, man. Y'all were talking about how uh, when the different exorcists come in, if like, if like it's a priest, there's one type of music and like an Indian yeah. guy comes in, there's another type of music. Yeah. The Chinese guy. <laughs> yeah. When a priest comes well, – you don't really notice. I didn't really notice it until Tom pointed it out. He's like, you know, every time they bring in like the Native American shaman, yeah, they're like, oh, the priest then, is like Gregorian chants. Yeah, 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 and then they bring in the Catholic priest, and it's like, oh, like the Gregorian chants. I didn't notice it until the one they did that was set. In, yeah, it was set in Thailand, right? Yeah, hungry yeah. ghost. <laughs> yeah, hungry. Yeah, and then you said, yeah, they brought like the Buddhist priest or whatever. Yeah, and all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden, drink, 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 and I'm like, oh my god, yeah. it was like ting tong ting or something like that. It, 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 it is ethnically stereotypical music. It really is. <laughs> I never even noticed it until you pointed it out. That's there. ridiculous. <laughs> It's like so it's obvious. It's well, you can tell there's some intern working on that show that's just like, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. We'll just like put this. Cue Chinese track. Yeah, okay, that's Chinese. Music get the stock music, music library. Cue <laughs> Redskin track. Right. You know, that's exactly yeah, yeah. what they're yeah. doing. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what they're yeah. doing. Wow. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. And it's like, it's it's kind of like the whole thing. I feel like <laughs> I blame Poltergeist too uh, for the whole magic Native American thing. It, yeah. it uh -huh. probably went back further than that. Magic Indians go way back. They do. But yeah, like, I, I kind of feel like the most egregious example yeah. of it was Poltergeist too. Yeah. With, well, of course, with the guy that was well, the like, whole idea he was the was magic that, Native American. The whole idea was is that if you bury Indians... You can't live on top of them. Their ghosts will get you. They're just going to mess you up. You can up, bury whatever. all the white people in Europe, though, and live on top of those suckers all and day long. <laughs> <laughs> because I'll They'll tell you what. They'll just lay there Euro European, peacefully, quietly. European cities are built upon entire beds of dead white boys. Right. And, they just and there's no problem. <laughs> But Native Americans will not. Right. That's awesome. Right. <laughs> that is like a totally... Oh my God! Well, brought to you by Hollywood. Brought to, you, brought to you by Hollywood. That's you know, and you look at the kind of dudes that run Hollywood, and now you're going to understand. Harvey Weinstein made that kind of stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> and what I wanted to ask you guys about that you guys covered was uh, the Russian the Russian sleep study. Oh okay. yeah, that was a good one. I listened to that today. Yeah, it was a great episode. Oh, you like that one? Yeah. That's I. You, this is a story, and like we had been hearing this for many, many years. And this was something that I kind of feel like, felt like I'd heard the story so many times and I kind of like, this can't be real. It yeah. can't be. No, it's not. No. <laughs> well, the more I looked into it, the more I was kind of like, my feelings were vindicated. Right, I was yeah. like, this is no, real. real. It started out it's like as, well, it started out as a creepypasta. Okay. You guys know what a creepypasta is, yep. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. It's a creepypasta. About a story... There was some guys in 
you know, World War II, post-World yeah. War II. And they're like, we want to study the effects. Hold of this- it together, Jenny. I'm trying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we- <laughs> If we want to study the effects of this drug on these people and this sleep deprivation on these people, they're prisoners of war. We want to put them in this, you know, cell. Yeah. And we're going to keep them from sleeping. Yeah. For all this time, we're going to give them this, like, gas. And we're going to keep them awake for all this time. We'll see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) And the story says that. After all, see, this was where the story first began to fall apart for me because only yeah. a few days after they had been in there, yeah, evidently the story goes that they kind of started. Well, at first, they started talking about traumatic experiences from their childhood and everything started going bad, yeah. And then all of a sudden, they started pooping on these pieces of paper and pasting them over the, the wall, over the windows, over the windows. Nice. Experimenters couldn't see them anymore. Right. And then they wouldn't talk into the microphones anymore. Yeah. They're talking about we don't want to talk to them to the yeah. experimenters anymore. Yeah. And then after only a few days, I mean, it wasn't about a very long time that they were right. in there. Like, right. you know. And then suddenly they start, they go quiet. Yeah. And then later on they go in there and then they're all eating each other. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> and see, like I don't it didn't I didn't happen. buy that from the outset no. because here's the thing: like people have been in, you know, solitary confinement, yeah, for longer than this experiment right. was said to go on. You've had people on mountains, yeah, frozen was, mountaintops, and yeah. Plane there crashes. was a there was a supposed yeah. drug that was involved, right? Two that was supposedly causing hallucinations and things like that. But even then. It seemed like too soon because right. really it seemed like only after four or five days. Yeah, four or five days is nothing. These on the human people body. were starting to act right. crazy and stuff right. like that, which wouldn't happen. I mean, that's not right. really that long a time. In a situation like that, you could sleep for a couple months without much uh, you right. know, effects on you. If there was nothing going on, you could just like curl. Guys in prison do it all the time, you know, right. in, 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 in like the whole. Or punishment, they'll sleep for night, basically sleep for 90 days. Yeah. And it doesn't bother them. It's like after only right. what, like 15, 16 days, it's right. like people wouldn't be right. eating right. their co prisoners' right. organs. And, and it's, all, it's already been. A- <laughs> It's already been established. That's just that's that's not. Yeah, yet. it's already been established through sleep deprivation that a person can get be sleep deprived for about a month. They're they're screwed up, but they're not that screwed. It, it doesn't become a paranormal, right? You know, episode. You know? Right. Right. It, it was. It is a really cool, um, scary story, and the it, way you, the way you guys right. delivered it was was awesome because it was like probably. At least a halfway, maybe two thirds of the way through, before I started being like, "Wait a minute, what, what?" Because you, you guys didn't, you didn't, you didn't come right out and say that it was a creepy pasta, right? So, well, so yeah. the delivery was really cool. The whole time I was driving to work, listening to it, I was like, I was starting to get really creeped out, and then that that all all the then all the really bizarre stuff started coming out, and I was like, "Oh, okay, okay." Well, we had to deliver the show in a certain way, or there wouldn't be a show. Right. No, you did a great job yeah, with yeah. that one. So what we'll do is we'll pick a subject that sounds interesting and we'll deliver the idea to the audience. And then we're going to shoot holes in it if we have to. Because, you know, not everything is true. Not all cool, cool stories well, are true, you know. The thing about the Russian sleep experiment, like we had tons of requests to do I mean, right. Everybody this wanted it yeah. for an episode. Right. 
And I, at that point, I had already read about it on Snopes and on various other places that I knew that it didn't really happen. But the fact that it was so widespread and it was reported, you know, in a lot of different venues that it was a real thing that had happened, I was like, okay, well, maybe we should do this. Right. But I didn't want, I didn't want to come forth yeah. outright and say that it hadn't really right, happened yeah. because I, I still want it to be a good show. I want it to be still creepy and yeah. shit like that, you know, so we'll say it that, you know, after right, the break yeah. or after, you know, that <laughs> not really, this didn't really happen, yeah. but it's still a good story yeah. though. Right. Yeah. Wasn't there a picture that was associated with it and what was like the <laughs> real source of that picture? That was actually a picture. It was like, it was made in Photoshop for some other, I don't even remember what it was now, but it was like some other uh, kind of, you know, creepypasta story or something like that. Somebody had made it in Photoshop basically, and they had associated with that story. So it kind of became attached to that story, which is, you know, that's another thing that happens a lot is that all of these kind of Photoshopped, you know, pictures that somebody has made and they've attached to these fictional stories and they kind of get attached to these nonfiction stories. And so people kind of keep copying them all around the internet as something that is actually a, you know, a photo from this actual thing. But this was uh, a photo that was not anything to do really with the original story. And the original story was actually posted as a fictional story. Mm-hmm. It's just that later on it got repeated and repeated and repeated over and over again as a non-fictional story. And, you know, it was something that I'm, I've always been fascinated with like urban legends and things of that nature, how, you know, someone can just make something up and post it online and then it gets like repeated over and over. And eventually someone will pick it up as a real story, we'll attach a photograph to it that maybe has nothing to do with it. And then we'll, and then it will just carry on into the future. Yeah. You see a lot of, you see a lot of viral marketing campaigns too, that they'll use the, like a trail cam caught this weird creature and it ends up being a creature that's in a video game that's coming out. And this stuff is like on just goes to normal news sites. I saw that happen actually. And it's funny because I saw this happen in real time. Somebody that posted a video of this quote unquote real monster that was seen crossing a road, you know, in some like lonely road in the dark somewhere, wherever they said it was. And then when I saw the video on YouTube, I was like, that's from a movie called extra yeah fantastic which we movie, actually <laughs> had seen <laughs> yeah it was a british sci-fi movie from yeah. like wow. 1988 yeah. or 1979 right like that's a scene from that movie yeah and british not or a Canadian? Lot of, it was british british okay yeah and not a lot of people had seen that movie right so i feel like that's why people felt safe like repeating it, it was like you know it was right. a guy like he was like a backward crawling kind it's of a guy, it's, it's a guy crawling yeah. backwards doing a crab crawl Right, like into the road. Right. But it was a scene in a costume. And it got repeated a lot on YouTube as as a real monster sighting. Right. Guys, what's your thoughts? Because we have someone coming on on the next show that has a film about this. What's your thoughts about the smiley face killer? Smiley face killer. Okay. The smiley face killer, I think, is more like a statistical uh, 
anomaly. There's a bunch of killings happen in a certain area, and there tends to be graffiti with a smiley face. And I, but the thing is, from what I remember, there weren't that many smiley faces around those bodies that were found. That's the way I remember it. But I don't remember there being anything, anything really to it. I mean, Jenny and I did a show on it, and she researched it extensively. Yeah, uh, okay. I, and I, I think I, I haven't looked at this like too too deeply either. But it, it seems like a lot of the smiley face graffiti that was found was like not necessarily near the bodies or where they were found, but a ways off and sort of um, like you said, sort of a statistical anomaly kind of thing. Like it could be just a just a coincidence. Yeah, well, yeah, we looked at it. It was a bunch of unsolved murders. All right, and they're just in a couple of the unsolved murders in that area. There were some graffiti marks okay and and one of the graffiti marks happened to be a smiley face okay jenny's back one of them had to be happened to be a smiley face but that doesn't mean anything that's that's a statistical thing you know what i mean uh would be a, would be a good way to, to describe are we thing. talking about the smiley face? yeah we're talking about smiley yeah, oh, yeah okay like and i think i said this on the show at least two of the murders, well, two of the deaths, I think, are probably murders, but I think they are unrelated to the other ones. Yeah, they're a lot And of I think a lot of them are unrelated. Yeah. And they are accidents, and that people are kind of attributing murder type scenarios to them right. afterward. Because here's the thing like, a lot of them occurred. We're talking about 40 to 45 deaths here. And, you know, it spans a large area. Yeah. From, like, New York to Minnesota. And some of the deaths took place on the same night. Yeah. So. so that couldn't have been the same if person. If this is a serial killer. Right. Unquote, it couldn't have been in those places. Then it couldn't have been the same person. Right. It would have to be. A gang of them? Yeah, it was a while and back. And I don't buy that. It was a while back that we did that show, but I remember when we were going through the data, mm-hmm. my, my internal meter, my gut meter was going, this this isn't one guy doing all this. And no, then it, it then, then it ended up being, wait a minute, if this is more than one guy doing this, they are not related. And then I remember thinking, you know what? I'm not even sure... If this is any kind of serial murder, some of these are accidents. And so I think most of them. Yeah, a few of them I remember being as murders, but the rest of them, there was no proof. There wasn't any proof that these were murders. Right. So it seemed to be that the smiley face label or the smiley face murderer's tag that's put on this phenomenon is just that a tag. It was a tag to describe a bunch of unsolved and accidental cases. I'm kind of leaning toward That's what I thought. I'm kind of leaning toward that was like a post hoc right. sort of. Because when there is a yeah. serial murder, there's a definite MO, a definite pattern. I mean, and it's plain to see that yeah. this is the same guy. And that was lacking in that. I just didn't see this anything in that. This seems like. I mean, you guys heard the show, right? Yeah. What do you guys think? I've. I've listened to your show about it and I've listened to a few other shows about it and I'm about to watch this documentary that this, this next person that we got coming on, he's going to talk about his, his work on it. Um, I'm in between really. 
I, I could see where it could be a statistical thing, or maybe there's some accidental drownings that occur. Um, but it does seem like there's a lot of weird stuff with it. Like some of these men, it's mostly young men yeah. Uh, yeah. that are in the prime of their life. And they, it seems that some of them are getting dosed while they're at a bar somewhere. And there was one case, I can't think of the specific case, but the guy was in the bar and they had him on camera in the bar and he just disappears into thin air. Yeah. And they said the, you know, the cameras outside didn't see him going out. They didn't see uh, they couldn't see any other way that he he got out. Kind of like the Elisa Lamb case. Right. There's, very, yeah. there's some similar stuff which you guys have talked about that too. I counter what you're saying with this: young guys in their prime of life are actually high risk. All right. Well, they that's yeah, true. That is very true. They tend to drink a lot. They tend to get in fights a lot. They right. tend to a lot of cars they tend to wreck a lot of motorcycles they tend to do stupid crap like fall down inside of things when they're <laughs> drunk they tend to do things like that young so, dudes are dumb is young dudes saying. are kind of dumb all right? yep. it could be that what you're seeing is this, a statistical thing although I would say alright I know you're going to have a guest on and he's probably spent more time studying this than Jenny and I did I'm going to venture to say that if there's anything there, then the pool of victims is much smaller yeah. than what. Than, I would say, yeah, yeah, I would say that as well, because right. a couple of the cases definitely do seem like suspicious. Murders. Right. Yeah, they definitely do seem like murder. like, uh, for example, in cases where the victims were found face up, for example, or yeah. were found with uh, traces of trauma, which most of the victims were not. Yeah. So I'm assuming that most of the victims that were found were probably accidental deaths, yeah. just dudes wandering out of bars and they were really messed up and, and they any, fell into a river or, you know, yeah, went, or committed suicide, maybe. I would think that if any of these deaths are murders and they are linked, at least two of them are murders, yeah. I think. And if those murders are linked, it's not very many murderers. Yeah, and there's another aspect to it as well that I find strange where they will search for these men and they'll later find them a few days later or even as long as like a couple of weeks later in the same place that they've already searched. And it doesn't seem like they drowned two weeks before when they dot, when they supposedly disappeared. It right. seems like they, they were, their time of death was later than that. So some people have speculated that they're being kept somewhere and then right. dr- killed by whatever means and then, then thrown in the river. My response to this, during my, times in, during my times in the Army, we accidentally lost a lot of equipment. All right. These things like night vision goggles came sure. up missing. Uh, things like pistols fell out of certain holsters. They sent us back into those areas to do to find them. And how we would do it was we would line up in what was called like a police call. All right, where where each man is at like one arm's length, and you'd walk through an area looking for stuff. Sometimes we would do that, and then the piece of equipment would be found later in the same places that we'd already searched. Hmm. This is an area that, excuse me, 
there is always a certain probability or possibility of failure in a search. Yeah. When you get a bunch of people together in one of these searches, not all of them really give a crap. Some of them are not yeah. really searching that hard. They're, They're like just social loafing. Exactly. They're just trying to get through the day. All right. They're, ah, we'll never find it. It's not here. It's not where I'm at. It's got to yeah, be somewhere whatever. else. I'm not even looking. So it could be that there were searches were done in certain areas for bodies, for missing people, and the search wasn't done well, or sometimes maybe even the search was never even done. Like a group of guys could go into an area and go, well, okay, they sent us over here to search in this area, but we all know it's not here. Mm -hmm. So just sit over there and have a smoke. Yeah, uh, Sandwiches will be here in a bit. I'll look around a little bit and I'll come back and you know, I'll tell you another well, here. And in regards to the smiley face killer theory, I'm not discounting that there is maybe a serial killer in the area who is drugging right. certain college age males and drowning them. But I don't think there's as many victims as they're attributing to this particular killer. Okay, now you that's all I'm saying. You drug a young college age man. Is it your intent to then dr drown that man, or is it your intent to have sex with that man? That's what I mean. It's like it seems uh, yeah, like in a the couple of the thing. cases, in a couple of the cases, the families have contended. Right. That the victims were driven around, perhaps in a van, yeah. and were tortured or sexually but molested by unknown. Right, but I don't know. Only There's in two cases, only yeah. in two cases right. of the forty to forty-five right. that are attributed to the smiley face killer. Only in two cases were there was there evidence that there was other right. You know that there was trauma to the body, or right. or that they were dead before they were put in right. the water. So the other ones, I'm not really sure right. about that. I kind of feel like the other ones were maybe attributable to accidents because you can see how that happens, particularly in that uh, in that area where it's a lot of them are La Crosse, Wisconsin. That's a big college town. It's a big drinking right. town. Like there's a lot yes. of dudes. Right. College age dudes that are out drinking. So, they're college age. They're not really experienced drinkers. Yeah. So you're, you're basically hearing what we have. All right. It's an unknown. I would say unlikely, but somebody who's really focused unlikely, on possible, but possible, unlikely. but unlikely. Because, yeah. like I said, some of them occurred on the same yeah. evening. Yeah. In different parts of the they're country. They're not all linked. So if, you know. If it was the same person, yeah, then it would have to be more than one person, right? So that means they're not really linked. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty agnostic about it myself. I mean, I think, I think it makes an interesting story, but you know, what I think we do tend as human beings to find to look at patterns and to glum onto those patterns yeah, and say exactly. you can get pretty obsessed with that. Yeah. Very much if so. If there's a link. Between all those murders, it's only a couple of them. So that means that there it isn't a big conspiracy. Yeah. yeah. And and like I said, I tend to be skeptical of anything that links that many things together over that large of an area. Yeah, and over that space of that's, time. Right. It's very that's unlikely. the only thing. It's like it, and, it, and, it, and, it and, is and then, and then that conspiracy evades detection over that amount of time. No. It's just that, that doesn't happen. Yeah. That doesn't I, happen. I don't think that would happen. All you gotta do is just look at the patterns in, in prior criminology. 
you can't have a gang of people going around doing that. They they rat on each other. You know, they yeah, they just don't. It's, well, once it's once a conspiracy gets to yeah. more than two, three people. Yeah, you can't keep it a secret. Yeah, expo- Somebody is going to spill right. the beans. Right, exactly. Exactly. So I kind of like once a conspiracy gets to more than right. three or four people, name, I'm name, skeptical about. Name a case that involved a bunch of people killing a bunch of other people and it remaining secret. It doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. I, I, I have a feeling that the Zodiac killer was more than one person. I think it was at least two people. It may That's have That's just by from studying it and just thinking it had to have been more than one person. Well, there were several other uh, similar murders, like the case of Robert Domingos, you know, and, and his girlfriend that were shot. Like there were several other cases in the years prior to the canonical Zodiac killings that were very similar, mm-hmm. like people that were shot in lovers' lanes and things like that, that could have been attributed to that, but they don't know if it was the same person. Was shooting people so, in a lover's lane a copycat? In other words, it could have did been. Did the Zodiac hear about that? And he's like, yes. Well, no, this them. was before that. That's what I'm saying. Did the Zodiac yeah. hear about the, the, and the, the then one? He and then he, then he, he did it. it. Right, saying, yeah. right. Yeah. Which no, leads yeah. me into another question. Well, actually, we wanted to ask you guys what you thought about this. And Serfiel... Um, we we're reading this book about uh, serial killers. Program to kill. Yeah. So ask them what they think about the whole thing. About the okay. So Dave McGowan uh, started writing this book, and I guess what really triggered him looking into it was the uh, pardon of Henry Lee Lucas while yeah. George W. Bush was governor yeah. of Texas. Yeah. And he started looking at Lucas's background and found some kind of like you know, possibly sketchy, secretive, uh, military stuff. And so we started looking at all these other serial killers backgrounds and their friends and associates and stuff. And, and he started, uh, connecting it with in particular, the Phoenix program during the Vietnam war, which was kind of like the precursor to the actual, what we think of as the war proper now, where, we were uh, assisting uh, the South Vietnamese and basically trying to, you know, terrorize uh, the uh, the Viet Cong insurgents through things like uh, dismemberment, uh, you know, creating these gruesome murder scenes. Of course, and there's a psychological warfare like the mm-hmm. uh, the ghosts in the in the woods and all this kind of stuff. And he, he ties it in and he thinks that there is some kind of uh, conspiratorial elements to a lot of the serial killer stuff. Uh, you want to add on that, Adam? Well, yeah, I mean, just the, just the fact that it's like kind of using the kind of the, the psychological warfare that they used in Vietnam and just kind of picking it up and using it here. Yeah. Have you all looked into that at all or, or found anything strange in the background of some of these serial killers uh, that well, looked, might pose something I've, like that? I've looked at well, – I know all about the Vietnam War and being past infantry, U.S. Army infantry. I, right. you know, my dad was in that war, and I've you know, read a lot of books about it. Um, I don't know Project Phoenix and uh, what you're describing, some kind of psychological operation where you're going to intimidate the enemy by making – gruesome cr- crime scenes that wouldn't that wouldn't be effective um and in the in that war the enemy was a hardened enemy 
Okay, they did. Yeah, and that. I agree with that statement. Yeah, they, but they, they, they still did it. did it in hopes that they would that some of them would lose morale. Right, but that was yeah. never going to happen with an eastern enemy that was hardened to suffering. Yeah, they didn't. They did not have Western value systems. You know, they were not. These were all men out there trying to outman each other, and uh, torture and mutilation of the enemy is kind of normal uh, in most warfare. It's Western warfare with the United States Army and European armies. They're the exception to the rule. They're the ones that don't maim people and torture people and, you know what I mean, do gruesome things. Throughout history, other armies did. That was just normal. So it's not effective for us to do anything like that. Uh, and then I look at I look at Henry Lee Lucas. He didn't operate at a high enough level to be military or in with the military. All I got to do is just hear him talk. And he's just a very kind of like a low functioning person. I'm not even sure he was a serial killer. <clears throat> I think a lot of his serial killer status came from him bragging. <clears throat> Excuse me. I and, do kind of feel like a lot of up. his stuff, yeah, was right. exaggerated. I, th I think he was most likely a very uh, low level um, robber. I think he did a gas station heist, and I think he was caught. He killed a guy during a gas station robbery and was caught later on and then embellished and lied about all the people that he killed. He was a confession machine. I think he only killed one person. Hmm. That's me. So well, that would make, <laughs> so that would problem, make him not too. a serial killer. That was the problem, too, about um, you know researching a lot of serial killers is that the psychology behind serial killers is that a lot of it is that it's done for self-aggrandizement. Mm -hmm. So you're not really sure how many people they've actually killed. Right. Or how well, many of it is actually embellishment. All that stuff happened after he had already been convicted of killing a guy in exactly. a gas station. So he had nothing to lose. In fact, he had everything to gain about confessing right, to right. other murders. If you really dig into this... Henry, Henry Lee Lucas was not competent enough to be a serial killer. You don't think? No. <laughs> I mean, yeah. even though a lot of films have been made about him, what about, it's all Otis, what about Otis Toole? Him also. Yeah. It's all legend. They're not serial killers. Yeah, which they're, in they're a way... Not, they're it, not, they're, if you actually listen to those guys talk, and I have, all right, those guys are so dumb yeah. and <laughs> so incompetent they could never be serial killers. And sadly, something that I've encountered... They're aspiring to yeah, be serial something killers. Something <laughs> I've encountered a lot, like yeah. when I was researching a lot of the Unsolved Murders, my books and stuff like that, is yeah. that, uh, you know, the more famous an Unsolved Murder is, mm -hmm. the more people will confess to it. Right. And even, like, people that are in prison for other crimes and stuff like that will... But yeah, I totally did that. Right, yeah. And stuff like that, because they That's want what those guys the were. notoriety. They yeah. want... You know, so a lot of their, um, you know, a lot of their uh, kind of motivation uh, is that they want to be known right. for as many now, murders as possible. Just in case I'm going to straighten this out with the audience, I am a white Caucasian male. I have <laughs> nothing against white men. 
those dudes were so white trash that they were praying that they could be considered to be a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> that's how those guys were. That's, well, how, that's how incompetent they, they yeah. were. Yeah, well, that there's a certain a, type of character. That being that a serial killer would actually be a step up step for them. Step up, yeah. They were just genetic misfits. I mean, all you got to do is look at them. Yeah, and like yeah. I, said, I think that's the reason yeah. why a lot of these unsolved crimes yeah. – you get a lot of these people that are right. already in prison confessing to them. Right. This is a, this is an interesting book, guys. I mean, I I think you got uh, Surfiel can actually send you a copy of it. It's it's interesting. I'd love to get you guys' thoughts on it because uh, I, there's some of it that I'm like, yeah, I could see that, and some of it I'm like, I don't know about that. But that's good to get a the skeptical point of view on it. Yeah. To be a serial killer, you'd have to have above average intelligence. So that would put you at about 110 IQ. All right. If you don't have 110 IQ, at least you would not be able to You're conceal. get caught after the first or second. Exactly. Yeah. You have to conceal at least. Yeah, most of them are caught. At least two homicides and caught on the third. Mm-hmm. They are not that intelligent. When you listen to them, you're dealing with guys of about 80 IQ. They, they they would get caught the first one, and they did. They shot that guy in that gas station, and they were caught. That was it. Yeah. Well, I think that's yeah. why people have the perception right. that serial killers are super intelligent or more intelligent than average. They are graded on a curve. Because those are the ones that right. weren't caught. Like right. the ones that were caught early right, yeah. were the dumbasses. Right, yeah. Right, that only right. did one or two crimes, and then someone caught them because yeah. they messed up. Yeah, and, those, and they caught them. Those two guys were substandard. I mean, you just look at them; they were substandard yeah. humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, well, their, their eyes didn't even line up. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much. I mean, this has been awesome, and you guys are going to stick with us for a little bit for our patrons. We're going to talk about some movies. Uh, that you all have covered in your oh, in your podcast. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna do some movies. Uh, but uh, real quick, tell everybody where they can hear you guys and uh, get in touch with you. Thirteen o'clock, thirteen o'clock podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Yeah. Also, look up our blog, which is thirteen o'clock podcast dot wordpress dot com. That's where you can download the audio. Yeah. But also, if you look on YouTube. We have a show on there as well. Yeah, and our show is basically a advertisement for Jenny's books. And Jenny's books can be found on Amazon.com. I do paranormal, paranormal. I do true crime, right. I do all that. Shit. And JennyAshford.com and yes. uh, on Amazon. What about Goddess of Hellfire? Goddess of yes. Hellfire. And I write about horror movies on there too. So if you're into horror movies, go check out my blog. Like I, you know, yeah. I put links to our podcast and stuff, but I also write reviews of horror right. movies on there too. Excellent. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, we are going to close out this show, close out this section, and guys, we'll be back to close out the show on Conspiracy Normal.
All right. That was awesome. Two of my favorite guests. One of my favorite podcasts. Yes. Um, it's good to just have a show where we didn't like in the past they've been on, we've focused on specific books, um, you know, particularly of Jenny's or the, um, you know, Tom's Poltergeist case or, or, or something more specific. This is, this is fun just to kind of shoot the shit with a couple of really cool podcasters. Yeah. And let it just kind of trail off. So, yeah, well, yeah, I really enjoyed that. And as far as like books, I mean, she's going to have the part two of her unsolved murders books. Right. Um, that's going to come out pretty soon. So we'll have her so back, be back on yeah. for that. So I didn't want to try to cover stuff that we might end up covering because they've been, uh, she's been pulling a lot of that material and using that for shows. So we, we did a Patreon episode of which um, we talked about movies and because that's another thing they do where they do their movie reviews. It's also on their feed. And Rob and Tom got to have a little um, Last Jedi support group. Yeah, we we cried. It was it was good. It was good for both of us. You got to vent. You, yeah. you guys got to get it out. <laughs> so, yeah. What did you think about that, Sergio? Yeah, that was pretty cool, man. Uh, just all over the place with the serial killer stuff and then the movies. It was uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got a story that I want to read, and this one is for Rob. Oh, God, is it about clowns? You'll see. Oh, Jesus. It says, Mother 19 stabbed boyfriend during sex after telling him men should only be used for, quote-unquote, human sacrifice. A young mother has been jailed. This is in Britain, by the way. A young mother has been jailed for 11 years for stabbing her occasional boyfriend as they had sexual intercourse after texting him to say men should only be used as human sacrifice. Zoe Adams, 19, had dressed up as a clown and put a pillow over Reardon Berwick's head to make their encounter more exhilarating on July 29th last year, Carlisle Crown Court heard. In what she described as an overreaction, she whispered, trust me to the then 17-year-old Berwick before stabbing him five times in the chest, arm, and thigh with a 10-inch knife collapsing his his lung. Having seized Adam's iPhone, the court heard of images she had saved on the device, which included a blood-soaked woman with the caption, Murder is like a bag of chips. You can't stop after just one. The device also had a text message to her victim reading, I don't think about males unless said male is strapped up and being used as a human sacrifice. You should be grateful you are not part of it. Adams claimed she could not remember the incident, but sentencing judge James Adkins said her cruel and sadistic actions were deliberately intended to cause harm to her victim. He added that she planned the attack, taking the knife and duct tape to her bedroom in Wigdon, Cumbria. Mr. Bewick, who was afraid of clowns, had declined Adams' earlier suggestion to be tied up with the tape and the pillow was a compromise. Judge Adkins said, you had decided to cause serious harm to Mr. Bewick during sex. I'm sure that by that time you had already become disinhibited by drink and drugs and the more sadistic side of your personality had come to dominate, said Judge Atkin, ruling that Adams is a dangerous offender. In his victim impact statement, Mr. Bewick said, said he had struggled to sleep since the attack, which left him with an injury to his lung and pneumonia. His statement said, I struggle with the knowledge that someone I genuinely cared about would do this to me. Just after I got out of hospital, this is thought played on my mind a lot. But having had time to think about it, I am convinced that she planned it. It wasn't personal. She was going to do it to someone, and it just happened to be me. Strangely, that makes it easier to deal with. 
He was going to be scarred mentally and emotionally for the rest of his life, he said, adding, I've always had a fear of clowns, and Zoe knew this. She will now only increase my fear of clowns. In a text message, Mr. Buick had told her that a barefoot clown was his worst nightmare. Barefoot? Barefoot, yes. His barrister then read aloud the defendant's text message to Mr. Buick, which read, I don't think about males unless said male is strapped up and being used as a human sacrifice. You should be grateful you're not part of it. Mr. Buick, a fantasy novelist, was left with life-threatening injuries. That just looks like this just repeats itself. So, yeah. She's going to jail. Okay, so <clears throat> quick recap. Kinky. Yeah. Uh, well, here's dress the thing. up as a clown. Yeah, if Alyssa was going to murder me, I'm pretty sure she would dress up as a clown first. Because <laughs> she knows what's going to she knows what's going to get you uh, cowering in fear, right? She knows that's that's what's going to happen. Ugh. <laughs> so there you go, Rob. There's your. Uh, Thanks. Now combines various girls, hot girls dressing as clowns. So wait, he was all Barefoot cool with clouds. like being tied up and like smothered with a pillow. It was the fact that she was dressed as a clown that he had a problem with. It was probably both. Okay, I'm sure they should have practiced safe words. Yeah, yeah. Pineapple, pineapple. Yeah. Bozo, Apparently, she bozo. just wanted to. She just wanted. <laughs> she was like a praying mantis. She just wanted to use him for sex and then eat him. I guess. Oh, well, that's all we're good for. Praying mantis clowns. All right, guys. Uh, this has been a whirlwind show. Uh, next time we have William Ramsey coming on, and we're going to talk about his film about the Smiley Face Killers, which a little bit of that we covered tonight. So that's kind of a little uh, preamble of that. Yeah, I'm interested to hear more about this case because, like I said, the only yeah. thing I know is from their show, and it's so I'm kind of on the fence about. It. I, I'm really interested to hear someone that's like really investigated it. Yeah, we're going to get a we're going to get a totally different viewpoint of it uh, next week. So because that's what we do. Um, Sergio, thank you for being here. Thank you. And Rob, thank you for banning the ones and twos as you often do. Yeah, I, I tried to fix the internet, the damn squirrels. Yeah, the Illuminati deep state squirrels are still at it, but we will prevail. <laughs> we will prevail. All right, uh, Rob, tell everybody where they can hear more Tom and Jenny on our Patreon. Yeah, go to patreon.com slash conspiranormal. We've got... Not with an A. With an I. I don't know how many we have uh, bonus episodes we have up now, but it's it's a lot. It's definitely worth checking out, and uh, you can gain access to that and various other things. We've got wallpapers up there. We've got you know T-shirts if you want to go that far. If you don't want a monthly subscription, you can do a one-time donation at our website at conspiranormal.com. And if you love the show and want to contribute, but you don't want to spend any money, I totally get that because I'm broke too. But you can definitely support us just by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen. Excellent. All right, guys. We will be back next week to talk about the Smiley Face Killers with William Ramsey on Conspiranormal. Man.
how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.